Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. Our sermon series is called Rhythms of the Soul, and we're exploring some of the habits and practices that connect us with God. We believe that you can have a walking, talking relationship with God, and this series is all about helping you do just that. We pray you find this sermon helpful in some way. Feel free to reach out by emailing us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. So I suppose I need to stay up here for the camera, right? Yep. Oh, see, I can't see you, and you are so good looking. If you were an ugly congregation, I wouldn't mind staying up here. But So anyway, yeah, I still remember um, about two and a half years ago, I believe it was October of 2019, my wife Dawn and I were here for your launch, and it was so exciting, and, and, and things were just cooking along, and then November and December and January, and you just kept growing, and February, and then what was it that happened in March of 2020? I can't remember. What was that thing? Yeah, so you're like five months into this new church, and then the COVID pandemic hit. Not ideal, right? But here you are, huh? And uh, God is doing a new thing in this part of Des Moines, and our district has been excited to be a part of it. We're just so proud of you. Um, So, enough of that. So you're in this series called Rhythms of the Soul. And it's a series on the spiritual disciplines. And I love the definition that Pastor Phil gave you on the very first message on what a spiritual discipline is. Here's the definition he gave you. Spiritual disciplines are practices we engage in where God can transform us. And I love that definition. Because it's important to understand that the disciplines don't change us. You can't grit your teeth and just decide, I'm going to transform my own life. Can't do it. Can't do it. Only God can transform a person. But here's the thing. As we practice the disciplines, it puts us in a position where God can work in our life. Does that make sense? So I love that definition. Now, before we get into today's spiritual discipline, which is worship... Let's, let's focus on the word discipline a little bit. You see, these are not spiritual options. These are not spiritual suggestions. These are not spiritual good ideas. We call them spiritual disciplines because they are to be practiced with, hello, what? Discipline. So think about the word discipline. How many of you hate that word? You don't have to raise your hands. (laughs) You know, think about the word discipline. The only way to really benefit from any kind of discipline. I'm going to give you three words. These aren't going to appear on the screen. I thought of this later. No extra charge. Disciplines must be practiced intentionally. That's the first word. Nobody stumbles into a discipline. Nobody gets in shape accidentally. It's intentionality. You have a goal, intentional. And then the second word is sacrificially. When when you practice a 
discipline you have to sacrifice to make that happen. Is that true or not? Don't care what the discipline is, okay? If, if you want to be disciplined with your money, you have to sacrifice. You have to say, okay, I'm going to give this up now so I can have this later, right? Pay now, play later, play now, pay later. Okay, sacrifice, right? And then the third thing is persistence or habit. Intentionally, sacrificially, habitually. That's what makes a discipline. You know, I just got to tell you, it's not hard to exercise once or twice. But to do it consistently over a span of time where you can really reap the results. Okay, so... Everything that's true about discipline is true about spiritual disciplines. And so far, you've talked about the spiritual disciplines of Scripture, pardon, and prayer. And today, I have been assigned the subject of worship. So, so, so important. I have never in my life known a growing, effective, joyful Christian who was casual or careless about the spiritual discipline of worship, okay? So before we get into this, to give credit where credit is due, over the years, there have been a number of thinkers and authors that have influenced my thinking about worship. People like A.W. Tozer and Warren Wiersbe and Richard Foster and Ann Ortland, and a lot of the ideas that work their way into the sermon today uh, originate with those thinkers. Let's talk about defining worship. How would you define worship? If I was to challenge you, define the word worship. How many of you could do it? No takers? Yeah, yeah you were in the first service, right? Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's like, how would you define beauty? Or how would you define love? Or even how would you define the word time? It's kind of like nailing jello to the wall. So let's look at some origins of the word. First of all, let's look at the in English origin of the word worship. The English word, you trace it back, simply means worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. Revelation 4.11 says this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the Apostle John, you are worthy. That's a statement of worship. It is recognizing the worthiness of God. It is telling him, God, I recognize that only you are worthy of my adoration. Only you are ultimately worthy of my praise. Only you are worthy. I recognize that. I honor you. It is worthship. There's a key idea here that your worship is linked directly to your understanding of who God is. A.W. Tozer says this, worship rises or falls altogether depending on the attitude we take toward God, whether we see God big or whether we see him little, okay? So worth-ship. Let's look at the Hebrew word. 
The Hebrew word for worship means to bow down or to pay homage. Bow down or to pay homage. Let me show you a couple of scriptural examples going clear back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 18.2, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. It's the Hebrew word for worship. Bowed low. Bow down. One of these men's turned, one of these three guys turned out to be the Lord, so it was an appropriate response. Later, Genesis 24, 26, then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Same Hebrew word, to bow low or to bow down. Now let's look at the Greek word. We'll go to the New Testament. The Greek word, and this is kind of weird. The Greek word literally translated means to kiss toward. Kiss toward. In some settings, it carries the idea of a dog licking his master's hand. Pretty graphic. It's a, it's a picture of humbling ourselves before God. It's a picture of utter devotion and affection. Uh, here's where this word shows up, one of the places. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's the Greek word there, to kiss toward. So, okay. So here's, here's the point I want to make. Um, the point I want to make is that worship is both an attitude and an action. It is not one or the other, okay? Um, you combine those three words together, and worship is both something that happens inside of me, right? It's a subjective experience, but it is also something that must be expressed. It's, it's subjective, it's also Objective. It is both an attitude and an action. On the one hand, it's not an unexpressed feeling, but on the other hand, it's not an empty informality either, okay? Now, now certainly it has to be expressed within the framework of who you are. If you tend to be kind of a shy person, maybe introverted, we're not going to expect you to jump from seat to seat waving flags, because that's not who you are. But worship has to be expressed in some appropriate manner. You can't be like the guy. I remember my dad used to tell this dumb story about this, this couple that, that were celebrating their 50th anniversary. She looks at him and says, honey, you never tell me you love me. How come? He said, I told you when we were married, didn't I? She said, yeah. He said, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. You know? Um, and... You know, some people, uh, their approach to worship is kind of like that. You know, it's, it happens inside of me. I shouldn't have to express it. You should know, God. You should know. Uh, -uh. It has to be expressed. Okay, so here's, here's a great definition, I think. So worship is our response to what God is, says, and does. Okay? Our response to what God is, says, and does. It is coming face-to-face -face with the presence of God. And, and it is responding with my mind and my emotions, subjective, but also with my body, okay? There are acts of worship. So good enough? That's our definition. Let's flesh it out a little bit more. Let's describe worship. Let's, there are some important assumptions about worship that I think we need to embrace. 
And, and this first one may be the most important thing I say all day. So get this. If you want to nod off to sleep, get this first. The first assumption is that worship is not about us. It's about God. We do not worship for what we receive. We worship simply because he is worthy. Hmm. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. He is a stickler about this. Just a stickler. It's not for us. It's for him. And, and I'm just afraid that sometimes, sometimes in, in our attempt to reach people, if we're not careful, we turn it in, into a consumeristic enterprise. Kierkegaard <clears throat> points out the fact that all too often we approach worship the same way we'd approach uh, uh, attending a play. Okay, so this is a playhouse, so this works perfect. Kierkegaard says we come in and we sit down and we are the audience. And he says, and we look up and the actors are to entertain us and then off stage are prompters who are giving actors their cues. And so Kierkegaard says that's the way we tend to approach worship is that we come and we sit down and we watch the upfront people and they are the performers and God is off stage somewhere prompting them so that they can minister to us. And Kierkegaard says, no, 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 that's all wrong. He says, God is the audience. And the upfront people are actually the prompters. And he says, we are the performers. You know what really blessed me earlier today? Can I tell you what really blessed me? What really blessed me is you people really sing. I love that. You know, I go to so many churches and it's like, it's like people are standing there just kind of like they're watching a concert. And I heard, I was sitting right up here, and I heard all this wonderful sound coming from behind me. Well, most of it was wonderful. Some of you need to take some voice lessons. No, not really. Not really. It, was, it, was, it just blessed me. I thought, okay, these people get it. They're singing to Jesus. They're not here watching a concert. I love that. So it's for him. Now listen, this is so important because if we approach, if we approach worship, if we approach worship as if it's for us, it will never become a spiritual discipline. And, and, and we're in boatloads of trouble. Uh, for example, on a particular day, particular Sunday, if I, if I don't feel needy, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today. I don't think I need to go to church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Or it makes us vulnerable to the ever-present worship wars. You know what I mean by worship wars? Where, where, where churches get into debate over worship style, you know, hymns versus choruses and old versus new and, you know, pianos and organs versus... Uh, guitars and drums, yeah. Um, and and I, 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 you know, I've, I just heard people over the years, well, I can't, I can't. No, no, I don't, I don't like that. Um, Rick Warren pastors at Saddleback Valley Church out in California. 
He said he had a lady come up to him after church one day. said, I didn't like the music today. He said to her, well, excuse me. I didn't realize we were singing to you. Ouch. Okay. So who's it for? This is a test. Is it for you? Nope. Okay. It's for him. Now here's the second thing. And, and this is clear in scripture. Worship also involves being gathered into God's presence. There is a, there is a coming together. Um, worship is to happen corporately. Certainly it should happen privately, but scripture is clear it needs to happen together. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here it is. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So certainly worship certainly must happen privately. And, and, and we need to learn that discipline. And man, we have just so many good tools. You know, you know my, my, my favorite worship tool is these days is Spotify. You know, I mean, if somebody had a microphone in my car some days, they'd think I was crazy, you know? I mean, you're just, just going down the road worshiping. So it should happen privately, but you can't escape the biblical theme that God expects his children to gather. So, huh, back to COVID. You know, we were shut down, and, and thank the Lord. Thank the Lord we could have internet. Some people are watching this online. Thank the Lord for that. But how many of you were so happy when we could finally come back together? Man, me too, me too. There's something about worshiping with my brothers and sisters, and that's not to devalue the importance of online ministry. In fact, one of the things we're wrestling with, can, can gathering online create community? I think it can, but we're trying to wrestle through that. So, but there is a gathering. Here's, here's an, another one uh, um, that I think it's important for us to get. Connecting with God in truth is primary, forms are secondary, okay? Connecting with him in truth is primary, forms, quite frankly, are secondary. You remember Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she wanted to debate him about the, the proper place to worship. And, and she said, you know, well, you Jews say to worship in Jerusalem, and we say this mountain over here. And Jesus wasn't going to go there. He basically said, lady, I'm not going to argue with you about that. That's secondary. And then he said this, verse 24 of John 4, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. There must be a connection of our spirit to his spirit. And it has to happen in the context of truth. So in other words, you can't make up your own religion. It's got to happen in the context of truth. So it's not that, it's not that forms are unimportant. And, and I think they can't, they are important. We, as, as long as we're human beings, we need forms. We really do, okay? We, we need hymns, we need choruses, we need readings, we need prayers. 
But all that stuff is secondary. All that stuff is secondary, and we need to understand that the New Testament does not, it absolutely does not prescribe a certain form of worship. And, and when I run into people who, who, who say, well, I, 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 just, I just love the hymns, and I, I, can't, I can't worship those new choruses. Well, well, that's a shame. That's a shame. Or vice versa. Well, what, what, are they, what are they bringing out that old stuff for? Well, that's a shame. Because as long as the form is faithful to truth, that's the important issue. And, and quite honestly, when I run into people who say, well, I, I, I just can't worship that way. Um, that, that, that makes me wonder how fresh their relationship with God is. Okay, this is in my notes, so I might get in trouble here. But that's okay, because I, I, I get to go home. And... <laughs> So, so my, my wife Dawn and I, later this month, will celebrate our 46th wedding anniversary. Yeah, thank you. We've been happily married for 43 years. Three of them were a little rough. I'm not going to lie to you. What if our relationship never grew past those early days? What if, what if we never learn new ways to express love for each other? That'd get really stale, wouldn't it? And I think, I think some people's relationship with God can be like that. It's kind of like, nope, the only way I can worship is through this form. Time for some growth. All right, so let's, let's take this train in to the station here pretty quickly. I, I want to I wanna talk a little bit about um, a need that I see, and that's the need for balance in three different areas, um, a both and, not an either or. Here's the first one. We need a balance between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word. Um, again, back to that John scripture. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not one or the other, both and. Um, some people come to worship just seeking to be uplifted. And if they don't leave feeling better when they, than when they came, they're tempted to go trotting off to a different church or, you know, well, that, that didn't, you know, I, I just don't feel any better, you know, um, but there are other people who say, you know what, I, just give me truth. Just give me truth. I, I had a guy in, in the church that I pastored before I took this position that he actually refused. I, he came 30 minutes late every week. He said, because, you know, he told me one day, he said, it'd be fine with me if you just preach for an hour. That was not the majority opinion, by the way. You know, he said, I, I just want the truth. I don't, I don't you know. Um, and if we're not careful, church can either become a pep rally or a lecture hall. And it's not a pep rally, and it's not a lecture hall. Okay? Uh, everything must happen within the parameters of God's holy word. But, but we, need, we need to be free 
to allow God's spirit to move among us. We need to be free to allow God to surprise us. Isn't it good when God surprises us sometimes? Here's another area where we need balance. Secondly, we need balance between recognizing his transcendence and his imminence. Okay, so transcendent means he's supreme. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is the creator God. <gasps> right? But God is also imminent, which means he is the God who comes alongside his people. He is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You ever notice how Emmanuel, the word Emmanuel looks suspiciously like the word imminent? means present. So look at how the psalmist maintains a balance. Psalm 147, 3 to 5. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. You see that? It's like back and forth, back and forth. He's the God who binds up wounds. He's also the God that counts the number of stars. He is the God who is here. He is the God who is out there. He is the God who is eminent, who comes alongside, who binds up my wounds. But he's also the great creator God. And if we focus too much on transcendent, it makes God unreachable. If we focus too much on his eminence, it turns him into nothing more than just a good friend. One more. I really think we need a balance between the traditions of the past and the opportunity of the present. I loved, 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 loved the elements that were included in this worship service. I learned a couple new courses today. And, and in, fact, in fact, one of the courses in particular, it just spoke to my wife and I as far as something we're going through right now. We needed that reminder that God has never failed us. It was cool. It was new. I also love the fact that we prayed some old classic confessional prayers together. Traditions of the past, opportunities of the present. The debate is not new. You understand that, don't you? It's centuries old. You know, Luther and Wesley were criticized for their hymns. Uh, Isaac Watts, you know, first time he, he, he played one of his hymns, people got up and marched out, you know, and, and hundreds of years ago, um, people who wanted to reach contemporary culture, this, this is not a new debate, took barroom tunes and wrote Christian words to them. Did you know that? Um, you know this hymn? We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. You know that hymn? Anybody? Okay, yeah, some of you gray heads. I once knew a girl and her name was Matilda. She hugged like a bear and she looked like one too. It's true.
Ephesians 5.19 says this, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Psalms. These were literally the psalms put to music. Hymns were songs extolling the character and the greatness of God. And the spiritual songs in the New Testament describe songs that were sung about the Christian life. So Paul says, be sure you're doing those. Be sure, be sure you're, you're singing a new song to the Lord. Psalm 33.3 says this, sing, him a, sing to him a new song, play skillfully. New song is used nine times in Scripture. Here's the deal. It's, I, I, it's, it's foolish to cut ourselves off from the traditions of the past. The traditions and the wisdom and the truth, because... It, it, I think it produces shallowness, quite frankly. But on the other hand, it's equally foolish to reject the opportunities of the present and the future. Okay. Here's the ultimate irony. I'm going to close with this. Here's the ultimate irony. Worship is for God, but God uses it to transform us. It's one of those wonderful paradoxical inside-out truths of the kingdom, like stewardship. I don't give to get, but when I give out of love for Jesus and because I, I, I believe the gospel is the only hope of the world, when I give with those kinds of motives, when I give recognizing God's ownership of my life and all I have, it, it's, it's interesting that he blesses me. And I find myself not having to worry about money, those kinds of things. Worship is like that. I don't worship for what I receive. I don't, I don't, I don't come into worship playing let's make a deal with God. Okay, here I am, God, now show up and zap me. I don't do that. But when I recognize he is worthy, something fascinating happens. It's for him but it changes me. And that brings us right back to our definition of spiritual discipline. It's one of those disciplines, one of those practices that we engage in that positions us to experience the transforming presence of God. But remember, remember, like any discipline, it must be practiced intentionally, sacrificially, we live in a world that says you can have it all. No, you can't. So you got to decide what's worth having. Sacrificially and habitually. God bless you. Thanks for letting me share my heart.